Oh, good morning to you guys. Still morning, right? My third service people, you sleeper inners. Today's the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. 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 I'm excited for today. I'm excited for this sermon series that we're starting. It's an important one. I think it's a timely one. It's one that I can't wait for us as a church to walk through together. The sign of the times. You know, I don't know if there is a more hotly debated topic in all of Christianity than when it comes to the end times. How will it actually play out? You know, there's theologians and pastors and commentators who I deeply appreciate who land in different spots on this. I'm not here to give you all the answers. I'm just here to preach a text to you. So I'm going to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. And if you're going to be with us for this next four weeks as we go through this sermon series, I'm just going to tell you now, just go ahead and put a bookmark in your Bible in, this, in Matthew chapter 24 because that's where we're going to be. See, when it comes to the end times, we're not the only ones who have questions. Actually, Jesus' own disciples straight up, point blank, asked Jesus, when is the end going to come? And he gives them an answer. And that's what we're going to be looking at for these next number of weeks. So today we're going to look at the first 14 verses in Matthew chapter 24. And let me just lay some context for you as you're turning there. If you did, you pick up on the Bibles that we provide for you. That's on page 1054. But let me lay some context for you. This story that we're going to read between Jesus and his disciples, this happens during uh, Passover, which is the most important week for, for the Jewish faith. And, and all the Jewish people, as far as, far as they could come, would come to Jerusalem during this Passover week. It was a week-long festival. In fact, Jerusalem, which typically in Jesus' day had a population of about 40,000, during Passover week it would swell to five to six times its population. Jerusalem was packed with people during Passover week. We've come to call this Holy Week in, in Christian world. But it was Passover week for Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus knows, as we read this story, Jesus knows that by the end of the week, his life would have been given up as a sacrifice for the sins of everyone who would come to faith in him. This this story that we're going to read actually has a specific date in history. We believe with as great certainty as possible that this happened on Tuesday, March 31st in the year 33 AD. A real date in history as we read what happened. So with the weight of his death coming by the end of the week and Jesus knows it, let's read this passage understanding that this is the weight Jesus, that that, that weight Jesus has on his shoulders. Uh, it'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along that way. Otherwise, I do encourage you to open up your Bibles if you haven't yet. Matthew chapter 24, we will read the first 14 verses here. So Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came out, uh, came to point to him, point, came to point out the buildings of the temple. And he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age. And Jesus answered, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed. 
For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famine and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all the nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures until the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. This is the word of God, everyone. Let's pray and then we'll get to it. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I ask that here and now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would sink the truth of your word deep into our hearts as we hear what our Savior taught his disciples and what the Spirit speaks to us now. Lord, we love you and thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So here's what I'd have you know here in the worship center. Here's what I want you to know if you are joining us in our venue or online or in our gym. When we approach the Bible, there are things that we want to know, and then there are things that Jesus tells us, and they're not always the same. But faith is coming to understand that what Jesus says is better and more precious than the answers to our burning questions. Do you believe that? That's a hard pill to swallow, but that is the truth. And so as we go through this first part of this text and in this first sermon of the sermon series, here is what I think Jesus is trying to communicate to us. If I had to sum it up, here's what I would say. Jesus' prophetic call to us is this. Come what may, keep the faith. Come what may, keep the faith. So let's walk through our text and see why this is what Jesus wants. Verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So here we are, 2,000 years ago, in Jerusalem, walking through the temple. This thing was incredible. I'm going to show you a picture rendering of what we think it probably looked like. It was amazing. Now, let me read to you what one commentator, how they described it. It was awe-inspiring. It was built with large stones, some of them 40 feet long, 12 feet wide, and 12 feet deep, weighing as much as 200,000 pounds each, and they were stacked upon each other. The temple stood 20 stories high. The roof was covered in gold, and at the top, there was white marble on top of the temple, and it would virtually blind you if you looked at it while it was reflecting the sun. This, of course, is the second temple for the Jews. The first one was destroyed by our good friend King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. This is the temple, the second temple that was built by Herod the Great. This is the one that Jesus would have walked through. It was not just the crown jewel of Jerusalem. It was the centerpiece of the Jewish faith. As you see, the temple here, uh, it's more of a complex, and it sat overlooking Jerusalem. Here's what an aerial view might have looked like. It was on a temple mount that was 1.5 million square feet. And as you see, it had various buildings. This thing was incredible. Built without heavy machinery, just by the strength of men's backs. And Jesus brings these young guys from out in the country 
to the city when the city is already five to six times its normal population. And they are just overwhelmed. They are in awe. They're inspired. They're just, Jesus, look at this. Put yourself there for a moment. And just look at how Jesus responds. But he answered them, you see all these, don't you? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Let's just stop there for a second. I mean, can you imagine what these young disciples, already overwhelmed by the, the gravity of this situation and just the hustle and bustle, can you imagine what they heard Jesus just say? This thing that is like the center of our faith is going to be torn down, and Jesus just kind of says it for all the world to hear. I mean, I'd imagine if I said that about this building, 6950 Cherry Valley, if I said that about this place, people would be offended. How could you say that about this place? Don't you know the history? People gave so much money to see this thing built. But Jesus is trying to drive the faith, not into practice, but into our hearts. Not to a place, but into our souls. And if you know your history, you know that this prophecy was actually fulfilled about 40 years later. In 70 AD, Rome invaded and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And it has not been rebuilt since. Verse 3. And so going as they, as they left Jerusalem, right outside Jerusalem, there's a little uh, grove of olive trees. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign that you're coming and of the end of the age. You know what's fascinating to me? The disciples, they don't ask Jesus, how do you know this? They ask him, when is this going to happen? Like they just trust his word. They don't ask how. They ask the completely natural question, when? And isn't that the question we are still asking today? When? When is this going to happen? And I think, the, you know, for part of me, one of the most fascinating lines in this entire chapter is this next line. When asked about the prophecy of the temple's destruction, when asked about his glorious return, uh, his glorious return, when asked about the end of all things, when asked when, look at how Jesus responds. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. See, I think, I think uh, the disciples at this point were probably like, uh, Jesus, we were actually asking when. Like, could you tell us a date and a time? Like, could you give us something to put in our calendar? We want to know when this is happening. And Jesus is like, I know, I know you want to know a date and a time, but I'm more concerned about your heart and your faith. And we're still learning that lesson. I think people are still more concerned about when and how the end will come than about the faith that Jesus came to give us. See that no one leads you astray. The disciples ask about the end times and Jesus is concerned about our faith. The next number of verses that we're going to read, yes, yes, they point to the end. The next number of verses that we're going to read, yes, they tell us about how the end is going to come and, that, and Jesus is going give to us, give us signs to look for as the end approaches. But I think we're going to miss one of the more important things Jesus is telling us. 
Jesus has given us indications of things that could lead us astray. This next list of things, yes, points to the end, but they also are things that Jesus is warning us about so that we don't get led astray. Let's see what he, let's see what he, what he writes. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Don't be afraid. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all the nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Thanks for the pep talk, Jesus. Really excited about this. But you know what? This is part of the reason why I follow this guy. He does not tell us what we want to hear. However brutally honest he needs to be, he tells us what we need to hear. This is part of the reason why I follow follow Christ. Jesus is telling us that until the end times come, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But don't let it lead you astray. There's going to be wars and rumors of war on a global scale. But don't be afraid. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be false teachings. You better believe that's happening right now. There's going to be earthquakes and false teachings. There's going to be famine. But one of the most hardest parts for me in all this is this line here. For this must take place. I wish Jesus would say something like, but if you keep the faith, this won't happen. If you stay true to the gospel, this won't happen. I want a way out of this. But Jesus says this must take place. This is going to happen. The question for you is, will you prepare for it or not? But Jesus says the troubles of of this world are necessary contractions that we will all experience. but But when those happen, it's an indication for us to know that it is the world, it is God through the world giving birth to something new. That all of this is going to give birth to the new creation. That God is going to work something new and make all things new in this world. But Jesus keeps coming back to this theme. He keeps coming back to this theme of people being led astray. That people keep being, uh, people being led astray and falling away. He already mentioned it in verse 4. Here we see it more. Jesus is a, it's a major concern for Jesus that in the end people are going to fall away and be led astray. He does not relent from this. He keeps going. Verse 12, he says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. All right, so let's talk for a moment about the connection between lawlessness and lovelessness. First of all, I would say this to you. Don't think of lawlessness in in terms of the increase of crime. Well, while that may happen, I think the thrust of what Jesus is getting at is that people will move away from God's law. And God's law is the law of love. To move away from God's law is to move away from love. And to speak in like lawful legal terms, love is God's jurisdiction. God is love. 
It's his creation. It's his thing. It's most purely exemplified in him. True love as defined and exemplified through God. Not through what is accepted culturally or even what is desired personally. Those things will lead people astray. When we follow a worldly understanding of love, we have to look to the author of love's description and demonstration of love. People will fall in love with the ways of the world more than with God. And their love for God will grow cold. And the lust of self will grow strong. And faith is lost in the process. And this makes this next line even more sobering. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now hear me clearly. Jesus does not say that we are saved by enduring. But that through these trials, it will become evident who has a genuine faith. See, trials and hardships are ways that God uses to refine his people's faith, to make them stronger. And Peace Church, listen to me. Right now in our midst, there are people who are going through some very difficult times. There are people who are going through some major hardships. And I want to be able to highlight how God is growing people's faith through that. In the coming weeks and months, you're going to be hearing more testimonies from people who are sharing about the hardships that they've gone through, but how their faith has grown through that. And I'm sure, and I'm positive, when you hear these stories, your faith will grow too. Because God is faithful to his word, and he's going to grow his people even through trials. But I'm going to push back on a notion here that I, I think many of us maybe have adopted When it comes to our faith, I think a lot of us think our faith is like this fragile little thing that we need to protect. I think people kind of feel like their faith is like baby Yoda. And you are the Mandalorian. And you are trying to protect your faith from the big, bad, scary world. And so you go out there and you're trying to protect your faith. I'm going to tell you something right now. That's not faith. That's not the picture we see in Scripture. Faith is called our shield. Right? It's the thing that protects us. We get behind our faith as the world attacks. We hide behind our faith in the shadow of his wings in the love of God. Our faith is that thing that we put out in front of us as we approach the world. It's that thing that we hold on to as we hold on to the knowledge of God's love for us. You are not the Mandalorian. Give me a break. Our faith is the lion inside of us. Is that your faith? Or do you still hold on to your faith like this precious little thing that you're trying to protect and you keep secret and silent? And when the worries of this world or the busyness of your calendar come, it just kind of gets pushed to the wayside. Our faith is a shield. It's a mighty shield. It's that thing that gets us through. But even in the midst of all these signs of the lawlessness of the world, political upheaval, infighting, famine, earthquakes, even in the midst of people falling away from the faith, listen to this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. I tell you right now, that's the side that I want to be on. The king of that kingdom I want him as my king. Because I'm going to tell you right now, though the world will fall apart, this kingdom will not stop. Somebody give me an amen to that. 
I want to know where the sons and daughters of the kingdom are in this house. Let me say that again. Though the world will fall apart, this kingdom will not stop. You are a son and daughter of this kingdom if you believe in Christ. Get behind this. Let the world know where you are and who you are. Though the world will fall apart, this kingdom will not stop. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. This gospel, interesting word here. Do you know what it means? It simply means good news. Good news. It's the good news of God's love and salvation for us in Jesus Christ. You know what the signs tell us? You know what Jesus is telling us here through these signs? They do warn us that the end is coming. But do you know what else these signs tell us? That the gospel is going forth. And it's covering the whole world. Even right now as we speak, the gospel is covering the globe. The places where the gospel hasn't reached yet, it's reaching those places. There are not many places left on planet Earth where the gospel hasn't been proclaimed. There are some hard-to-reach places. There are some places we haven't gone to yet. But we're covering the globe. And when it does, then the end will come. The time is growing short. God's people are seeing this through. That's why we support global missions. We want to see this continue because we want to see Jesus return. So I'm going to say this to you. If you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not yet received God's love for you in Jesus and the salvation that Jesus has won for you, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, if you have not accepted God's love and salvation, the salvation that God has for you by his grace in Jesus, do not wait. I don't know how much time is left, and I certainly don't know how much time you have left, but I know that you have this moment right now. So if you have not embraced God's love for you in Jesus and the salvation that is offered to you there, do it now. But if you are a son and daughter, son or a daughter in this kingdom, if you have accepted this grace, I want you to remember that Jesus' prophetic call to us is this, is come what may keep the faith. So Christian in the house, I'm going to ask you, where are you at? Where's your faith at? What's your life looking like these days? Where's your faith? Jesus says to keep the faith. Do not be led astray. So I'm going to give you a, a few ways to keep the faith as the end approaches. Put more heart into prayer. Develop a biblical worldview and stay connected to church. Number one, put more heart into prayer. And listen, I, I know, okay, like, I know this sounds like a lame, easy thing that a pastor would say. But notice I did not say put more time into prayer. I said put more heart into prayer. There are plenty of passages where Jesus challenges those whose prayers are long and lofty just to sound holy and pious, and Jesus challenges them. I'm going to warn you right now. Yes, I'm the lead pastor of this church, but it's not like I have these pretty beautiful prayers. Mine are raw and gritty. I'm more concerned about my prayers being real than I am about them sounding nice. Because I'm going to tell you right now, God is not impressed with the number of words in your prayers. He doesn't want more words. He wants more heart. And so when you pray, do two things. Praise and plead. Praise. Just praise God for who he is. 
Praise God for the ways that he has just moved in this world. Praise God for being the creator. Praise God for his love. Just praise the Father who loves you. Give him the honor that he is due. But then plead. Plead to the God who makes changes. Plead to him. Plead to him on behalf of your, of your needs, the needs of your church, the needs of your family, your kids, your grandkids. Plead with him. Your neighbors, plead with God. Let me give you a practical, practical challenge. Parents, pray with your kids at night. Pray with your family at night. Wives, pray for your husband each morning. Church, keep an actual prayer list. Keep an actual prayer list. Okay, use that dumb smartphone for some good. Keep a prayer list in that thing and pray over those needs and watch God answer prayers. And then at times come to God and say, God, this has been on my prayer list for years. Would you make it happen, please, in Jesus' name? Keep a prayer list. Put more heart into prayer. Again, I said it. Putting more heart into prayer doesn't mean that they will sound more beautiful. But it does mean they'll be more real. And that's what God wants. Please do not ever be embarrassed to pray around me. I am not a professional prayer person. I just pray my heart out. And it doesn't often sound super nice. But I want it to be real because I know God doesn't con- is not concerned about the amount of words in my prayer. He's concerned about the amount of heart. So put more heart into your prayer. And maybe some of you, maybe some of you do need to spend more time in prayer. If you do, if that's you, then get to it. But all of us put more heart into prayer. If you put more heart into prayer, I believe that God will grow your faith in your heart. Second, develop a biblical worldview. Church, there's no easy way around this. This is Bible study, pure and simple. This is you getting your nose in the word of God and reading what God has told you and what has stood throughout the ages. The word of God is like a filter that helps us to see and to understand the world. It helps to make sense of what's happening in this world. But I'm going to tell you right now, one of my current greatest fears is that our young people, our teenagers in our early 20s, that they are getting their theology, they're getting their ethics, and they're getting their worldview from memes that they see online and in social media. And these short little quippy memes sound wise, they sound like they're full of logic, they sound poignant, but they are just lacking any semblance of logic. And that scares me, but you know what else scares me? Is that parents are unaware of this. They're unaware that their children are being discipled more by memes online than by themselves. And what's even scarier than that to me is that parents are ill-equipped to actually dismantle the poor theology and the bad logic that kids are being exposed to online. And this happens because we do not have a biblical worldview. And you want to know why? Because for far too long, Christian families have put everything on their calendar above and before Bible study. For far too long, Christians have been a slave to the world, a slave to their calendar, doing everything else the world is doing, and all the while, chances for Bible study and developing a biblical worldview is taking second seat, and not just second seat, it's not ever actually getting to. But if you believe what Jesus is saying is happening, or is about to happen, or we are well into it, if you believe what Jesus says is true, 
then we need to be putting those things that strengthen our faith over and above those things that don't. If you think that the time is growing short, if you think that there's not much time left in Christian, I'm telling you, it's time to double down on our calendars and on our faith and on our commitments and putting the things that build our faith above everything else because it's the one who endures until the end who will be saved. And that does not happen when Bible study and Christian commitments take a second seat to everything else. Jesus is going to come and come back and we're going to be sitting there like, well, sorry, I had this going on over here. Christian, like, stop playing world and start living like a son and daughter in the kingdom. Our king is calling us to something and we're answering the world's call. And the number one way that happens is through our calendars and through our finances and through what we just put in front of our kids on a daily basis. It's those whose faith will endure until the end who will be saved. And a biblical worldview gives us the eyes to see what leads people astray. A biblical worldview can look at a stupid meme and say, that's exactly not what the Bible is saying. A biblical worldview will help you understand ethics and logic at a level that the world just cannot begin to grasp. This leads to the last point. Stay connected to church. Tell you what, the the big concern for Jesus throughout our entire passage so far is that people are going to fall away. And that is happening. COVID put that on a fast track for so many people. They're just falling away. I'm telling you right now, through my 20-some years in ministry, the number one way I see people fall away from the faith is when they get disconnected from the church. When life happens or other commitments get in the way. I'm telling you right now, Falling away from the faith isn't like stepping off a cliff. It is a slow stroll, one step at a time, walking away. Oh, I have this commitment. I can't come to Bible study. Oh, I was up too late this night. I can't go to men's breakfast. Oh, we can't do this. We have this going on 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 this date. Oh, we can't go to bed. We can't do prayers tonight as a family because the sports went too late tonight. And we take these steps, one step at a time, and six years later, your kids don't know who Jesus is. And you're not even going to church. Like, if the end times are here, and I believe the time is growing short, it's time to double down. Stop playing like the world and start living like a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God and stop making excuses and do what you know your king is calling you to do. The Bible says that you are the body of Christ and each of you play a part. The time is now for Christians to be connected to their local church like never before because we are the body of Christ. So let me give you you an example or uh, maybe something to help you understand this. Imagine one day you wake up and magically your left arm has learned to talk. And it says to you, You know what? I've had a rough week. I stayed up too late last night. I'm taking the day off. And then it just doesn't do anything the rest of the day. Now, you need to understand, at that point, your body is not working properly. It's not functioning as it was designed to function. You understand this, right? 
Turn out, you are the body of Christ and each of you is a part. When Christians decide not to show up to church or not to use their gifts for God's kingdom, it's like that left arm saying, you know what, I just need the day off. And now suddenly the body of Christ isn't functioning properly because the parts aren't functioning properly. I'm telling you, now is the time to double down on our faith and to show the world where our true commitments are. If you can be here, then be here. I'm saying this with as much love as I possibly can. If you can be here, then be here. If you, for health reasons, cannot be here, or because someone that you're in close proximity with is health compromised, we love you. Come back as soon as you feel it's safe to do. We love you. We bless you. We'll minister minister to you from afar. But if you can be here, it's time to start doing it. It's time to get on mission and understand the call that you have. There are people in your life who are not here who should be, and you haven't once reached out to them. Stop being that left arm that decided to take a day off and play the part that God has designed and crafted and created you and gifted you to play and do your part. I'm telling you right now, church, I would rather have one church that will give their lives to this than an empire that just shows up casually. If you can be here, it's time to double down and be here. You've all got a part to play in every small thing you do in the name of Jesus. It is water on the fires of hell. So do what God's called you to do and stop making excuses for it. Stay connected to your church. I've said this before, Peace Church is a family. And in this family, we got chores. Every single one of us has got a chore. So do your part. And in this family, we gather at night for dinner. We gather around the table and we have dinner together. Except our dinner is Sunday morning worship. In this family, that's one of the things that we all do together. We come and we gather And we're going to do what we can to make space so that as many people as who God is calling to this church, we will have space for them. That's why we are reorienting this worship center. That's why we're creating space in other venues. We're doing all that we can to create as much space as possible for all the people that God's calling to this church. And he may be calling them through you. So get on the phone, on your text, stop over to your neighbor and say, come to church with me. And do your part. And don't be that left arm that just hangs there. If you're sitting here and you're like, I hear you. Great, sign me up. Then here's what I'd say to do. Talk to me or one of the pastors and we will get you on the road to serving where you need to be serving. I'm going to tell you right now, if you put more heart into your prayers, if you saturate yourself in scripture and make a commitment to biblical training, and if you stay connected to your church, I believe the Holy Spirit will develop in you a faith that will endure until the end. And listen to me, we're not legalists. You're not saved by having 100% church attendance. But you're part of this kingdom, and your king has called you to gather. So let's gather. There is great debate on how the end will play out. Pastors, again, pastors and theologians who I love can, can see this differently. But our ability to endure until the end doesn't come from knowing how or when the end will come. Our ability to endure until the end comes from having a faith, knowing what Christ has already done for us. Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to save us from our sins, to take the punishment for us, to save us from God's wrath, to save us from hell, to take the penalty that we should have paid for our sins. He does that on the cross. His body was physically, literally, nailed to a cross, and his blood poured out 
Because that was him taking the punishment that we deserve. I tell you what, why do we call this the gospel? Like, why do we call this good news? It's not just because Christ takes our punishment. It's because we also get his reward. And his reward is that we get eternal life in glory with him, worshiping the Father forever. And we call this the gospel. And it is such good news that the Bible says that the end will not come until everyone has heard this truth. And we're almost there. So as we prepare for the end to come, and as we come together in faith, under the banner of Jesus and what he's done for us, we're going to celebrate communion together. And this is a sacrament by which we are just reminded of the gospel. This is something Jesus calls us to do on a regular basis as his people. So as we do, remember, Jesus' prophetic call to us is this, that come what may, come what may, keep the faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, We do not know when or at what time the end will come, but we do know it's coming. So please, give us the heart to discern the signs around us, the heart to believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Let us be intentional with the time that we have left. Let us discern rightly what you want us to do with the time you've given to us. Lord, we know that the end is coming, that the birth pains have already started. And Father, we know that we cannot do this. We can't even believe in Jesus apart from the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. So we ask now in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit, you would do these things for your glory and for our joy. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.